I would not want to hold the people that made those misdiagnoses personally responsible because it's not necessarily their fault that they didn't see it or didn't make that connection. The problem is they weren't taught to make that connection. They weren't told to, to see those things as potentials. I wasn't taught to, to connect the dots. I dismissed myself sometimes. And so that's, that's the bigger, the more systemic problem that needs to be addressed. And, and, and that's what we're, that's what we're working on. I'm Lee Silverstein, and this is the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to be with you. And boy, did we have a good time last Saturday at the first stop for 2018, the Tampa Undie Run Walk. Had such a blast. It was a great turnout. We raised a lot of money. Uh, thank you to all the folks that supported me and my team, Lee Superheroes. Uh, I was honored to be mentioned as the number two fundraiser. So so wonderful that uh, you know we could do such good work for such a good cause here in the Tampa Bay area. The proceeds from the Undie Run Walk uh, fund a local uh, clinic that's run by the University of South Florida. It's called the Bridge Clinic, and these funds raised at the Undie Run Walk allow them to do. Uh, screening colonoscopies for the underserved community. And so, you know, what better effort than to support something like that? So great time. Uh, if you are interested in participating in a run walk, there's quite a few of them out there. If you're interested in participating in a run walk type event, uh, a few of the big Colorectal Cancer Organizations put these events on. The Colon Cancer Coalition puts on their Get Your Rear in Gear event that uh, uh, takes place across the country. You can find information at the Colon Cancer Coalition website at coloncancercoalition.org. And the Colorectal Cancer Alliance puts on their Undie Run Walk, which also uh, makes stops across the country. You can learn more about the Undie Run Walk by visiting the Colorectal Cancer Alliance's uh, webpage at ccalliance.org. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the Colon Cancer Podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CCPOD, they'll give you 10% off your first order. My guest this week is Julianne Edwards. 
Julian is the grassroots advocacy manager for Fight CRC. She's doing amazing work and is preparing and is overseeing this year's Call on Congress event, which takes place from March 18th through March 21st. I will be attending. This will be my first time. It's also going to be Julianne's first time. So she's planning this big event that she's never attended, all while participating in a clinical trial for her stage four colon cancer. Join me now for my conversation with Julianne. Julianne, welcome to the podcast. How are you this evening? I'm well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for uh, taking time from your very busy schedule to uh, to join me. And I guess that's the best place to start is uh, tell us what has been keeping you so incredibly busy uh, <laughs> these last few weeks and, the, and for the next, uh, what, two months. Yeah, a month and a half now. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm the grassroots advocacy manager for fight colorectal cancer. And I am planning and, and gearing up for our three day advocacy event in DC, which is called call on Congress. Um, and it's, uh, it's a couple of days of programming with really fabulous speakers. Um, we do a state of the science day, uh, the first day, and then a policy deep dive the second day. And we have all kinds of fabulous survivor speakers and policy speakers and doctors and, and everybody that you'd want to hear from in the colorectal cancer community. And then we go to the Hill and ask Congress to, to help us out and, and support our community. So it's a, it's a great time. It's a lot of work, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's one hundred percent worth it because it's just such an important important thing to do. And this will be your first time attending, as and my first time attending. Do I have that right? <laughs> it will. It will. It's very interesting to try and plan an event you've never attended, but uh, it's a challenge I'm up to, uh, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to to meeting everybody because it's also a chance for our community to come together and, and spend some time getting to know each other. How many people will be attending? 150 of of our nearest and dearest. So uh, so it's it's quite a big group. Wow! And how many years has Fight CRC uh, been doing this? This will be the 12th annual call on Congress. Um, wow! As I understand it. Um, they started out with about 20 folks going to the Hill um, 12 years ago. And actually, one of our GAC members has has been there the whole time. She's gone every single year. Um, so so it's got quite a following and it's and it's you know definitely grown over the years and we're going to keep on growing it. So for those of us uh you and I included. Maybe I'm asking the wrong person since you haven't been. We'll set up, but, we'll set up something with a, <laughs> our GAC member who's been for 12 years. <laughs> so do we just show up uh, in the Capitol or, uh, and grab people in the hallways, or, or what does that look like? <laughs> uh, so, so basically, uh, we set it up for all of our advocates. We set up all your meetings. Um, and, uh, we work with a company called Soapbox and they schedule it out. You'll meet with senators, you'll meet with your congressmen. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, you might not have a, a member meeting, but you'll speak with staffers who a lot of times might know a bit more about the healthcare policies, um, than the members themselves. 
uh, and we give you a thorough training. We don't send you in there blind. We, <laughs> we let you know what to expect. You can talk to other folks that have done it before and, and you'll, you'll know what you're doing before you head in the, in that building. So how did you get involved in this, Julianne? Well, um, I started out as a volunteer advocate after I was diagnosed, uh, with stage four colon cancer when I was 26. And, um, and so I started my roots in advocacy actually started when, uh, when I realized that the ACA was in trouble. Um, I, as I said, I was diagnosed when I was 26. I was also just coming out of law school and in law school, I studied the Sibelius cases and how the ACA was being enacted. And so I knew very well how it affected um, my story because I was in a gap in health insurance coverage uh, when I was diagnosed. And if it weren't for the ACA, I wouldn't have been covered on my parents' insurance for the surgery that I had to have that saved my life. And also for, I wouldn't be able to get a new policy when I was halfway through chemo and that policy had expired. So I was acutely aware of policy's impact on sort of mitigating the negative impact of cancer on me. And when I realized the ACA was in trouble, I felt kind of a responsibility um, to, to pay it forward because somebody had fought for those things for me. And, um, you know, I, I have a three-year-old niece who now has a very close family history of colorectal cancer. And I just, I didn't want somebody to be in my shoes and have this have been repealed. So, so I started going out and holding a sign, um, which is very a bit different than from what I do now. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but the spirit's the same. Uh, I, I started going out to rallies, um, healthcare rallies and holding a sign and people just started responding. And, um, what did the sign say? It said, uh, stage four colon cancer diagnosed at 26 in 2015. Um, uh, my family and I are going through enough. Please don't take my health care. Um, and, and people responded to that. And, um, and so I actually, uh, Bernie Sanders tweeted a picture of my face <laughs> holding this sign. Uh, it was it was the picture of the healthcare rallies they started in January. It was the picture of the cover photo for that moment on Twitter. I didn't know what a Twitter moment was, so I was very, I was delighted to see that I was one. Um, and and so I reached out to them and said, "Hey, this is me." Um, I'm happy to share my story if you think it'll help. And so we made a video with them, my, my husband, my mom and I, and, um, and I also reached out to the American cancer society, um, and said, hi, apparently my story is helpful in some way. Um, so if you want to, if you want me to tell it to anybody, let me know. And they got back to me within a couple of hours and set up interviews and, television appearances and all these kinds of wonderful things to sort of help me get my story about how this policy had, had helped me, um, out there. And, um, and so 
I started doing that and it kind of ramped up to Votorama in July. Um, and uh, after, after that experience, at this point, I had been practicing law with my mom um, and I was doing advocacy part-time. And, um, and after that experience in DC, I said, you know what, I want to do this full time. Um, this is really important to me and really fulfilling to me. And it's, uh, I, I think it's the trajectory I want to pursue. And, uh, and so I just started looking and lo and behold, uh, fight CRC was, was looking for a grassroots advocacy manager. Um, and I had, I had known about fight CRC because I used their clinical trial finder. Um, so, so I, I had come upon them organically and, and I loved what they did. And, um, I was really lucky that they loved me too. So, <laughs> so you, uh, you mentioned a phrase I don't hear that often practice law with my mom. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that before. Yeah. So I come from a family of attorneys um, grandfather, father, mom, brother, Wow, all attorneys. Um, so, so I was, I was the black sheep that went off to music school. Actually, I studied opera at the Peabody conservatory for, you know, four years. And then I came out of that and, uh, with, with crippling stage fright actually, <laughs> and said, I literally gave it the college try. It's not for me, but I'm going to go to law school. I thought I was going to be an agent for composers. And I was all set to do that. Um, I got a, I got a law degree and a master's of music business at the same time from university of Miami. And I, uh, I went out to LA and I started working for an agency that represents film composers. And it was the coolest job. I loved it. I was so so passionate about finding a home for classical composers in the modern world. And, and I loved my colleagues and I was all set to start working with them in September of 2015. I graduated in May and I was diagnosed in July while I was studying for the California bar exam. So my five year plan kind of fell spectacularly to pieces. Um, and I said, you know, I, I can't be away from my family. I can't be away from my doctors. Um, and so I decided to stay put and took the Maryland bar exam instead. Um, but I, I never actually wanted to be an attorney, which was the, the fun thing. I, I, you know, I went to law school to become an agent. Um, but I was lucky that I had that to fall back on. Um, and when I passed the bar, which... I don't recommend doing right after you've had chemo because chemo brain and studying for the bar exam is kind of a nightmare situation. Would never, would never do it again. Um, unfortunately I don't have to. Um, but I, I, I started practicing with my mom, um, because a recurrence was confirmed about three days before I was sworn in. So I was I was NED from April of 2016 to December of 2016. And what um, was your initial stage diagnosis? Four. Four right from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, when we, when we found out that I was recurring, I, I wasn't about to go out and look for a high pressure associate job. Um, my mom said, I'll show you the ropes. You can get some experience. I'll be flexible, obviously, with you while you're while you're in treatment. And and then but then I found advocacy and my trajectory took yet another turn. But yeah, I was I was diagnosed stage four right off the bat, um, which is, as I understand it, for my population, for my age um, with the early onset, it's unfortunately quite typical um, that later stage diagnosis. And looking back, you know, I, I, I see the signs, but hindsight is 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been married? I've been married, uh, for two and a bit, two and a half years almost. So Um, where did that fall into this timeline? Well, um, we were engaged when I was diagnosed. We got engaged in December of 2014 and we had planned to get married Labor Day 2016. Instead, I was diagnosed in July and I woke up from my eight hour surgery before I was, I was actually right after I was diagnosed. Yeah. My, my surgeon came in, gave us the bad news and as soon as we sort of dried our tears, I said, I really want to get married before we have to do chemo. She said, you know, you've got eight weeks to recover from surgery and then we're going to start chemo. And I said, I'm going to get married. And he said, me too. And so we planned a wedding in eight weeks. <laughs> um, and that was supposed to be a year later. We got married Labor Day 2015. And, um, and it was much smaller and probably a lot more special because of that. Um, I, I, I love, it's one of my favorite, obviously one of my favorite days of all time, but it was a very bright spot and a very dark time. Um, and it remains that way. I can imagine. Yeah. How, how has this all impacted uh, your your marriage? Well, honestly, um, it it made it bulletproof. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I mean i I was pretty sure that I married the right guy, <laughs> and then I uh, that I was engaged to the right guy at least, and then I got cancer, and I realized wow, um, you know, this guy is sticking with me, even though, you know, I, my, my cancer spread to my ovaries. And so, you know, we had talked about having kids. I couldn't do that anymore. I was plunged into surgical menopause, (laughs) which is so fun. Let me tell you, I'm just a, just a walk in the park. Uh, you know, I, and, you know, we both got put into this world that, I, you know, I could, I could not walk away from it, but he had the choice and he doubled down and said, I'm here to stay. Um, and you know, even though we've, we've been through a roller coaster of, you know, we're in the cancer bubble, we're out of the cancer bubble, we're in the cancer bubble. And now I work here and our entire life is 
clinical trials and, and, you know, and treatment. And it's, it's all we talk about. He's been there 100%. Um, and then not just kind of, you know, not just been there for me, but been engaged, been involved, you know, he's, he's, um, he's, he's my rock. And, uh, and it, it forged a bond between him and members of my family that I, I, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine another situation in which, you know, my, my mom and my dad would feel as close as they do to the man that I married. And I, I, in some ways I find myself grateful, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say that because cancer remains the worst thing that ever happened to me, but, um, but the silver linings are undeniable. Do you f- ever five those days, you know, you live it, you breathe it, you're in treatment and you work in it. <laughs> Any any regrets, or do you have those days where you just want to do something that doesn't involve cancer? You know, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I imagine those days will come. Um, but there is there's so much. I mean, the 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 first thing that I I think about when when you ask me that is you know there's just so much to be done. Um, that I, I can't, I, I don't feel that way. Usually the days where it is overwhelming is the days when it's really hard is when we, when we lose people. Um, because it, you know, it's, it's very scary. I mean, having, having cancer is very scary. Um, just generally. And when you lose people and you work in it and, you're constantly confronting that fear yourself. It sends you reeling. It, it sends you reeling a little because most of all, it makes you wonder how quickly it could happen to you, how quickly it could go that way for you. And it's, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard, but what keeps you going? Um, everyone else. Because there's still so many people to fight for um, that are still here, and the people that leave us, they 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 were part of our community. They were part of the fight. We you know we have to we have to keep on doing what we do because because of them, for them, and again, there's just there's too much to be done. There's too much to be done. Yeah, I when I look back on my story, one of the things I, I I try not to dwell on where I could have seen it, where I could have connected those dots, where the doctors could have connected those dots. I mean, you mean in terms of symptoms? Yeah, I was. Um, you know, I was I was dismissed and misdiagnosed a few times. Um, and it's upsetting to think about. And it's, inc- um, and it's incredibly common, which is even more infuriating. And, and, but I would not want to hold, I would not want to hold the people that made those misdiagnoses personally responsible because 
it's not it's not necessarily their fault that they didn't see it or didn't make that connection. The problem is is that they weren't taught to make that connection. They weren't told to to see those things as potentials. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't taught to, to connect the dots. I dismissed myself sometimes. And, and so that's, that's the bigger, the more systemic problem that needs to be addressed. And, and, and that's what we're, that's what we're working on. Um, that, and you know, a million other problems that we have to solve that can, that, you know, I, I really love policy work because when you look at these bigger systemic problems, you know, Raising money is fabulous, you know, for, for research. Absolutely. You know, um, giving as much money as you can doing nice things for, for cancer patients is a fabulous thing to do. And I think if that's what you want to do, you should absolutely do it. But when it comes to bang for your buck, public policy is, a, a, it's the least costly way to help the most people. And, and, and for the longest period of time. So. Well, if we could just eliminate the misdiagnosed, I was dismissed cases. What a difference that would make. It just, it just is just such a recurring theme in the people I talk to uh, under the age of, of, of 40. It's just one after another, as you know, and, uh, and, you know, there's a long list of things I wish for, uh, you know, being stage four myself. But boy, that one's near the top of the list, too. Really? Oh, is. yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially, you know, I, I think um, I think there's a, a worry that you're like being a hypochondriac if you advocate for yourself to your doctor. I mean, I again, I dismissed myself several times because I sort of said, well, what do I know? I mean, I'm I know enough to know that I don't know anything <laughs> about medicine. So why would I, why would I push this with a doctor if the doctor is saying it's not this? And, um, and I wish that I could go back and, and give myself more, give, give myself a little bit more credit that I knew something was wrong that, you know, that my, that my, petechial rash and my, my anemia and low hemoglobin were not just stress that, you know, that my, the things that were constantly seen on my ovaries for years were not benign ovarian cysts. Um, and, and that, and even in the ER, as I was doubled over in pain from, um, from the tumor was blocking my colon completely. Um, and, and they told me it was constipation. Now I'm, I'm a, I'm a, at this point I'm 26 years old and a 26 year old woman is no stranger to all sorts of abdominal pain. And I knew something was really wrong. I wouldn't have waited six hours in the emergency room if I, if I didn't think something was really wrong, but it took me coming back and passing out in that waiting room to even be seen again and taken more seriously. Um, and that, that's a shame. Um, and it's a shame on both sides. It's a shame in the, in the comedic, in the medical community. It's a shame also in the patient community. And, um, a lot of what I do, you know, when I'm not advocating for public policy, you know, I, I, I spend 
a lot of time on with my friends on social media going, you know, look out for this because and advocate for yourself. And, and if you really feel like something's wrong, don't take no for an answer because it's always better safe than sorry. Um, and don't let him, and don't let embarrassment kill you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I tell my, my friends who have said, Oh my gosh, like, you know, what can I do? Like now I have like a little bit of anxiety about this. And I say, you know, you can, you can get a fit, a fit test. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of gross, whatever, but you know, it's really gross. Uh, chemo, mm. <laughs> you're putting poison in your body. It's really gross. And it makes you feel gross for a really long time. So do that instead. Um, and also, you know, being really open with, um, with your family. I know that colonoscopies are, the butt of jokes, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> intended. Um, I, I saw what, I but, saw what you did there. <laughs> you saw it coming. Um, so yeah, but talking about colonoscopies and more importantly, the results of colonoscopies too, because you know, my dad had a precancerous polyp when I was in college, but his doctor didn't tell him to tell me that that gives me a family history. Right. Yeah. I know all too well, all too well. Where are you right now in treatment, Julianne? I'm actually, I'm on a clinical trial right now. Um, I, I'm seen at Johns Hopkins. And, um, and when I recurred, I was not, I was not interested in, you know, I, I, I knew the score enough to know that as a stage four person, looking for a stage four patient looking for long-term survival. I was worried about simply going back to chemotherapy because I'm MSS, um, you know, which is not as yeah responsive to, to the chemo. And, and I, you know, it was my, my new metastases since I recurred are in my lungs. And so, you know, that's not a, it's not a quote unquote expendable um, organ like your ovaries. You know, I can live without ovaries, can't live without lungs. So, um, you know, that danger and my knowledge of sort of the quality of life that being on and off chemo was going to give me, I was, I said, let's look at clinical trials. And, um, and I found one that is a combination therapy at, uh, at Johns Hopkins and it's a combination therapy between immunotherapy and chemo. So, um, and what it is, is it's called a cell receptor agonist. Um, and it's a, it's a different kind of immunotherapy. Usually, you know, that we think of immunotherapy as, you know, PD-1 um, inhibitors and, and things like that. This is, um, this is a different kind of immunotherapy. And I actually, it was... Uh, fight CRC has been, uh, you know, a, a very fortuitous for me for a number of reasons. And one of them was that I, you know, I was looking at this trial in September and I had just started working for fight CRC and, um, and I was really lucky that, you know, my boss, um, Angie Davis, the president of fight CRC, I, I asked her her opinion and she connected me to these incredibly knowledgeable people, um, you know, it was Tom Marsilier was one of them. And, okay. and 
you know, and his endorsement of this trial, he said, you know, if I were eligible, I'd go on this trial. And that was enough. That was enough for me. I knew enough about Tom and, and all the people that were advising me to know that that was, that was as good as I was going to get. So, um, so I started and, um, it's been intense. I, I won't lie. Um, going from a standard of care, uh, you know, Zellox to a clinical trial that's fulfiri and immunotherapy. Um, it's, it's been a little difficult to navigate, but, um, but we just got word that, uh, well, we, we had to do a scan because we were concerned about their, the possibility of there being disease in my liver. It was acting up a little bit. Um, and so we wanted to rule that out and we did a scan and not only did we find that there was no disease in my liver, we actually found that um, much of the disease in my lungs had stabilized and some of the disease in my lymph nodes has shrunk. So we're, we're chugging right along. That's, that's enough for me to just, you know, kind of be like, you know what? I, I'm cool with the hair thinning. I'm cool with all of this. If it's working done. Great news. Do you take the treatment? Um, I am treated. So it's standard of careful theory. So it's every two weeks. I've got the 46 hour infusion pump that I wear. Um, and I am, I take the immunotherapy. It's two pills every day. Um, and it's, it's as easy as you could ask for, for being, you know, to, I've got the immunotherapy fatigue and, you know, and obviously the kind of devastating fatigue that goes with full theory, man, that is a bear. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I've got a really supportive um, co-workers and, and network of co-workers and family, and, and I get through it. So I'm working. And <laughs> Is this an on week or an off week? Um, this is an on week. Um, so I am, I'm getting infused at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So, um, so and it's actually one of the really fabulous things about um, working remotely too. Um, like if you're gonna work through chemo, working remotely is amazing. Cause I can go into the hospital and be in the waiting room and be answering emails and, and, you know, actually kind of getting some work done during the day. Um, I actually last uh, two weeks ago, I took a staff call while I was getting infused and everybody at Hopkins is like, Okay. Like they're, they're very mindful. They, you know, they're not in my video and, and, and the staff is likewise very mindful. I'm like, I have to get an, an atropine shot right now. And they're like, Oh, okay. You can, you know, do whatever you got to do. Um, so everybody's, and certainly you're talking to people that totally understand. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you couldn't ask for a more, you couldn't ask for a more supportive, um, uh, (laughs) staff there. I mean, they really get it, uh, you know, and and it's it's really tricky because working through chemo is is a very it's constantly it's constantly shifting what you can handle and and what you're what you're up for and what you should be up for is, you know, sometimes I I want to work, but I can't, you know, um, and and just being communicative, I, my, my heart goes out to folks who don't feel that they can be open with their employer and their coworkers about, about doing this because it's, it's just, 
it can be very debilitating at times, just mentally. Um, and especially if you're a person who really um, puts stakes a lot of their self-worth and their ability to be to cognate and to and to you know be very high functioning mentally it's it's a little devastating not to know what your capacity is going to be from a day-to-day standpoint because I mean anybody that's been on steroids and you know and and had them keep you up all night but spinning out of control and and dealt with chemo brain on top of it and it's crazy it's crazy. It, it, I, I'd, I'd come home and i'd be so wired from the steroids i'd be like vacuuming the house and and then that wears off and everything changes uh, you know so this is the yeah. least amount of chemo and steroids that's going to be in my system because i'm getting infused tomorrow and as you can tell i'm a talker so when i'm on the <laughs> steroids i mean again my heart goes out to my husband too because because <laughs> i'm just no, 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 Just motor mouthing at him. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. <sighs> so. well, well, like you said, he's all in, which is, uh, you know, not everybody's so lucky. Not everybody is as lucky. <laughs> A marriage connection uh, like you do. And when you have someone that's that's all in, um, little motor mouth is no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the motor mouth bothers him as much as, you know, the uncertainty of well, they might pull me in for eight hours of blood work on a you know on a random day. Sure. You know that's 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 a little that puts a bee in his bonnet. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it makes. I, I went to um, a cancer con, which is uh, stupid cancers conference, as I'm sure you know, and um, and I attended a, a session where they talked about dating and and uh, trying to do all of that with, with cancer. It's just, I, I can't imagine having that to disclose to somebody. And, and also, you know, it, it, it's another, it's another circumstance where my, my heart just really goes out to folks because it's, it's, I don't know what I would do without it. And, and so for those people, I mean, they're incredibly strong, Yeah, incredibly strong. Yeah. Well, you've been extremely generous with your time, and I know you've got a big day ahead of you. I am so looking forward to meeting you at Colon Congress uh, in March and and uh, personally uh, giving you a hug and thanking you for all the amazing work that you're doing. And where can people find you online, Julian? Um, you can find me on Twitter, um, and I can, I can give you my handle. Um, it's at Jules G underscore Edwards. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. I moderate the advocates, um, at fight colorectal cancer group. So if you want to hear all about policy, um, (laughs) then you should definitely join our advocates group because you'll just hear from me nonstop. Um, and, and feel free if you, um, are interested in anything that we're doing at fight colorectal cancer, um, you can email me at advocacy at fight colorectal dot, uh, fight colorectal cancer.org. 
I'll have all those links posted in the show notes, and it'll be under the coloncancerpodcast.com forward slash 086. Julianne, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me. Thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, I wish you just, you know, just first and foremost, above all else, else uh, good luck with your treatments and may the future be bright and, and, uh, bring you all good things, most importantly, good health. Thank you, Lee. Likewise, and thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. You have a good evening. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Colon Cancer Podcast, and thank you to our sponsor, H2ORS. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. <laughs>